Triathlon Show 406. Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I'm joined by fellow scientific triathlon coach, Lachlan Kirin. This is uh, not a classic interview, but rather a two-way conversation between uh, Lachie and myself. And we try to cover everything that we think is important for athletes to know about coaching. Uh, as coaches, we do, of course, have uh, some bias in this question. But at the same time, we have a lot of experience and expertise, both as coaches and as athletes uh, that have worked with many different coaches. So I think that the, the end result, uh, I'm very happy with, to be honest. I, I liked this episode and how it turned out. And I hope that it gives athletes, especially those that have never been coached, a better idea of what coaching really is and why it is so so beneficial and and things like what to look for in, in a good coach. So very important things to, to know if if that's something that you're considering. Uh, a quick reminder once again before the interview or the episode that registration for our 2024 training camp in Mallorca is open. The dates for the camp are the 13th to the 20th of April 2024. Go to scientifictriathlon.com for slash Mallorca to get all the details. And big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hydration. Precision Fuel and Hydration help athletes perform at their best with electrolyte and fueling products and with free online tools, education and a patented sweat test. You can use the free fuel and hydration planner on their website to get a personalized plan for carbohydrate sodium and fluid intake and you can also book a free 20 minute video call station to chat through your plan with the athlete support team i have used their entire range of products for a long time and i think they're absolutely brilliant and you can get 15 percent off your first order by using the code tts23 on precisionfuelandhydration.com and thank you to Senate. The Senate Indoor Swim Trainer allows you to improve your technique, power, and swim training consistency, even when you're short on time. It's a great tool for busy athletes because you can do a quality workout in just 15 minutes at home, even on days when you don't have time to get to the pool. And it is a perfect complement to pool and open water swimming as it allows you to focus specifically on key aspects of your swimming, like your catch and your power, and isolate them more easily than you can in the water. You can try the Senate risk-free for up to 30 days, so if you don't love it, just send it back, and you can get 20% off your first order on senateswimtrainer.com for slash TT. Yes. Now, without any further ado, let's get into the conversation with Lachlan Kieran and myself on coaching. Welcome back to that triathlon show, Lachie. How are you doing? Good, thanks, Michael. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, excited to have this this chat with you. It's a, I guess, a bit of a different one uh, because we're going to talk about the yeah coaching, coach athlete relationship, things to things to look for in in that and in getting a coach and so on so i think that that would be an interesting interesting topic that we haven't discussed so much on the podcast before maybe to start off talk about the benefits and for whom coaching might be a good thing so what would you say are the benefits of of having a coach yeah i think we preface this whole discussion by uh by saying that we are coaches so mm. uh inevitably there's probably um a little bit of, of bias, um, but we, we will do our best to remain uh, completely objective in these questions. Um, in terms of like the benefits of having a coach, for me, I, I've always thought, um, you know, it's, it's, it's having someone there that always maintains that 30,000 foot and objective view of things. And that, that sounds quite simple, but in practice, um, you know, from the perspective of a coach and also having been an athlete, it's it's really hard to um to always maintain that 
yourself. Um, I'm not sure if, if you feel the same way, but I certainly found um, the, the brief times that I did try to self-coach as an athlete, I uh, found myself always kind of leaning towards the things that I was, you know, liked or was good at, but but potentially, um, you know, at times missed out on, on doing things that perhaps challenged some areas that, um, you know, I, I was afraid to kind of go myself yeah i completely agree with that and uh, uh yeah that's that's definitely something that right now i am self-coached but uh, we both had coach have had a lot of or had several coaches for long parts of our athletic career so we're talking for, uh, about this from the perspective of not just being coaches but also being athletes and uh, having worked with uh, with a number of coaches and, and learned from from that experience from from the other side so to say and yeah staying objective is is an important one um i think another one that i'll uh, just list is that it's uh, yeah it's an in, it's like an investment in education almost that the things that you learn from any given coach are things that you can take with you for the rest of your of your career so every coach that i've had i've learned a lot from and and those are things that uh yeah to this day i can use whether it's as an athlete or or as a coach and uh and that's that that i think is a really important factor it's not just about the training you're doing today this week this month or this year it's about the the learning and the education that you that you get and can take with you for for the rest of your career yeah absolutely and and potentially as well like a coach can just bring ideas that you haven't thought of before which is is powerful um you know i think it's it's easy to get stuck in a box and, and as you said like being self-coached now but you, you have that background of um you know having worked with a number of different coaches and i'm sure they've all influenced you in, in different ways as you know the way that you coach other people as well yeah yeah absolutely do you think that it is possible to be as effective in training if you do it all on your own as it is having a coach can it be as effective yeah i think there's situations and um you know i I think potentially that probably exists more so when you've had that experience um you know with say a number of coaches or um learned experiences as an athlete as well i mean inevitably you know people make mistakes whether that's as an athlete and even as a coach like we we've all made mistakes and, and we've learned from them but i guess the power of bringing someone in as a coach that has that that lived experience is that you know you can kind of avoid making those mistakes or at least have someone there to to pull you up when you're on on track to uh, potentially you know go down that path yeah and and i think uh, an important factor there is that in a good coach athlete relationship it's not just the the athlete learning from a coach it's not a one-way street the coach telling the athlete this is what you should do but especially if you're a coach and and you're working with an athlete with 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 a bit of experience then then a good coach will learn from the athlete's experience and they will they will give the athlete advice based on what the athlete has done before and felt worked for them so for example uh i would always ask a new athlete that I'm starting to work with, if they have some experience about, let's say, tapering, hey, what do you find historically has worked well for you in in the taper? Are you more of a somebody who responds to really cutting things down, or do you respond to maintaining quite a bit of volume? What about intensity? Those sorts of things. I think it's not it's not about having all the answers. It's about as a coach and an athlete, you, you're you're like a team, and and the coach, as much as they can provide answers they can also um have the right questions at the right time and 
help the team the coach athlete team figure things out together i think that that's that's often one of the hallmarks of a good coach athlete relationship yeah i think it's a really powerful point that like it's it's definitely about questioning things and 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 that's a two-way street for sure and look there's times when um you know, maybe neither of you actually has the answer, and that 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 can be where you outsource to you know a third party as well. So, um, I mean, that's that's another small point is that you know a coach that has those networks can, can bring that to you as well as an athlete is is being able to reach out to um, you know experts in certain fields to to answer those questions too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And another benefit I would say, and this is a commonly cited one, but but it is no less true. I think is that a coach can can help a lot with with accountability and uh, and that's for a lot of athletes not everybody but for a lot of athletes that's really important because just having a coach is what really motivates them to to be consistent in their training and and go and do the training even on days when they might be a bit stressed have a bit less time but they at least they go and do something because they know that they they have invested in having a coach so so that it's it's about they want to make the most out of it 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 basically it gives you an amount of seriousness about your training and i guess that's also why we'll, we'll get into that who for whom is it good to get a coach and for whom might it not be the the best but i think for athletes that are like serious about improving especially that accountability can be can be important it doesn't mean that you're a robot and you you follow everything every day no matter how you feel that's not the point and that's one of the things that a coach will educate the athlete about as well when when is it time to pull back depending on how you feel but but in many situations that accountability can help the athlete stay on course and even when um when otherwise they might might just choose to skip training because because times are a bit more stressful or or things like that yeah i can think to, to plenty of times when um I've jumped in the pool and, and the sessions changed about 50 times before I finished the set and uh, to times when I actually had a set, you know, planned and, and I was just going to do it no matter what. And, and uh, yeah, that accountability is, is powerful. Yeah. So let's maybe get into then who is a good candidate for getting a coach and, and on the flip side of that, for whom might it be not something that is um, like the best, the best idea or for whom is it unnecessary basically? Yeah, I think fundamentally, you know, if you're looking for a coach, you need to be open to that that coach athlete relationship, right? And and having input into into your plan. Um, you know, I think if if you're going to be resistant to that and you just kind of want to do what you're doing, but with some praise, then potentially, you know, a coach isn't going to be able to add much value there. Um, and I think, you know, in terms of of what that coach looks like. I mean, that might be different for a, a beginner versus an experienced athlete, right? Um, so, yeah, I, I think most people probably could consider getting a coach, but it fundamentally to me comes down to that coach-athlete relationship. So what what that coach looks like in terms of, you know, their experience, their ide- ideas and, and philosophies in a sense probably shapes, um, yeah, who might be the right choice. Yeah. One other thing that I would add there is I think that there are definitely athletes that that just want to do any sport, but triathlon, for example, or it might be running or cycling, just doing it to for for doing it and, and not for 
improvement and things like that and then in that situation you probably don't need a coach to be honest like you you know what makes you tick in terms of just enjoying things and and of course coaching shouldn't make training any less enjoyable but if that's the the main objective of an athlete then you don't necessarily need the coaching because improvement is not your your main objective or or focus and and that's really i think fundamental to what the coach provides a coach should provide an avenue for improving in your in your craft in your sport or or whatever it might be so so i think that that's there's definitely some athletes for whom that's yeah it's it's unnecessary basically because you, you you're just doing it for the pure enjoyment of it and not necessarily for improvement or performance goals yeah i can certainly relate to that at the moment myself so uh, it's a good point yeah. Uh, yeah other than that so let's get into maybe what you mentioned there with what it might look like with beginners experienced athletes and what the coaching relationship looked like that might this might be a good point uh, to talk about remote coaching versus local coaching and so on what are your thoughts on that yeah i think there's there's probably scope in in both areas um for athletes but you know in terms of that point that you made before in in regards to kind of asking questions of the athlete you know if if they are a beginner and they they don't have any experience then then potentially you know the answers there are going to be non-existent so in those instances maybe the coach has to kind of drive that a little bit more and and be willing to experiment and, and actually give the athlete the opportunity to have those experiences if that makes sense like um instead of just constantly being it's my way or the highway you know be open to to trying different things with them so that they can actually learn through the process as well as can you um you know and then up to the top end of say the most experienced athletes like that that relationship probably does become more back and forth and and kind of working together on ideas and trying out new things and um and things like that yeah and uh and i think yes uh sorry i think that with the with the beginner athlete uh i i think that if if you are a complete beginner especially then you probably if you can it would be good to go with a local coach which might even be just joining a club that has some coach sessions because that uh advantage of having somebody see you in person regularly swimming cycling running that's that's an important thing at the beginning stages of learning triathlon and then once you have the basic skills nailed down at that point i think it uh it makes less uh, it, it makes less of mo- less of a difference uh, and it's less of an advantage but if you have a good communication and a good relationship with your coach uh, you can yeah most things can be handled remotely that being said of course even for the best athletes in the world well, there are many plenty of examples of these training groups that exist with the coach being on deck of course there are advantages to being being around your athlete at all times and and being able to see see how they how they feel not just hearing what they say but seeing it visually when when they're on the pool deck or uh, on the track and and being able to adapt in the day-to-day but that's not a realistic option for for a lot of people so i think that in in general my my i guess my my thoughts would be that for beginners try to maybe first look for something like a club with with coach sessions to join if that's possible locally because that will be an advantage uh but then for as you gain more experience uh you yeah you probably just want to look for the coach that you can have the best relationship with and the most trust in whether it's a local coach or a remote coach and i think that the the differences there are pretty small yeah and it's an interesting point like i think with the advent of um 
remote coaching being, you know, so viable um, with with communication tools. You know, I think what what we see with coaches is that they are much more worldly, if that makes sense. Like, you know, for instance, like between you and I, we we, we might have athletes across Australia, Asia, uh, the US, Europe, you know, um, and so you actually get kind of these inputs that potentially, you know, especially for me being in Australia, like I might not see um, some of the kind of training techniques or just little idiosyncrasies of, you know, someone that lives in Finland, for instance. But through this, like you can kind of develop a much wider skill set and, and better communication style too because you have a lot of different inputs. And and that kind of, I hope, translates across to athletes too because you can bring ideas from all different areas. And, and I think that's um, that's not such a bad thing. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, what should an athlete expect from a coach? Do you think what are the coach's kind of responsibilities and uh, yeah, any expectations that the athlete should have on the coach? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, you know, I think the way I mean, I can speak to how we work, which you know, for the most part, is it's pretty much an open door policy. Um, you know, I think there's definitely coaches out there that work, you know, on, on limited communication and things like that. But in my opinion, I think those those communication channels really need to be open. And that doesn't mean necessarily that an athlete, you know, has to use them all the time every day kind of thing, but they need to feel comfortable that if they have a question or, um, you know, they need to talk about something that it's it's kind of not – you know, a cost to do so. Like I'll, I'll give you an example. Like I, I sent a text to my accountant the other day and it was itemized at $300, right? Like it's crazy. You, you're scared to ask a question. And I don't think you should ever feel like that in a coach-athlete relationship, right? It should it should be, um, you know, an open dialogue. And, and at times that might, you know, you might not be able to answer instantly because you you, you don't see it straight away, but it, it shouldn't ever feel like there's, there's pressure on that um, communication. Yeah, I think I think that's uh, for sure the most important thing, and and I guess the other thing, which is also uh, probably a point we'll get to later on with some myths and misconceptions. So I mean, it's it's very evident to us, but it should be you should be getting coaching is individual, coaching is for the person, coaching is not the same as a training plan. So so you should be be getting individual attention, individual planning, and and so on. And and again, I think that this is very like it's crazy for us to think of any other way but I, I, I still think that a lot of athletes kind of believe that uh, yeah there are coaches that maybe just give the same plan to everybody and that's obviously not what you should expect and if that happens then yeah that's that's a big big red flag and you should you should go the other way but uh, but I yeah I, I think that that's that's evident but it's it's important to say it anyway yeah, and I think that those um, relationships, they can change over time. You know, like I've had athletes that for three or four years and that, you know, now they've had a child or something and, and so the communication is just less because they're so busy. But, you know, at my end it's like, okay, well, it might be less, but then when we do communicate it has to be, you know, we have to try and get across everything and things like that. And then on the flip side it might be, you know, I think athletes should also feel comfortable to reach out and say, hey, I think we. I would like to have a bit more structure in our communication, and then as a coach, you take that feedback and, and try and implement it as well. So um, everyone's different, and, and as you said, like you have to learn, um, you know, initially what that looks like, and then also be open to that that relationship changing over time, just you know, through life factors and things like that. Yeah, uh, no, that's that's great. I think I think that the yeah the crux of that is really that the the athlete also needs to have input in what the 
what the communication looks like basically because as you say different different things work for different people so if an athlete wants to mainly communicate through text messages then i think the the coach should be open to that or if they want to there might still be cases where okay you really want every once in a while to get on a call to really see the athlete and hear the athlete that but but i think that yeah you need to be able to compromise and and it just as with training it's not my way or the highway the same goes for the communication if 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 an athlete wants to have more frequent calls then that's something that that we sh- that we should be open about and and if it's like less frequent but they make sure that they just update how they're feeling in their workout log in training peaks or whatever platform you're using that's that's another example so yeah just i, I think that yeah being able to together with the athlete um work out what the communication looks like in that coach athlete relationship and and not having it be something that is necessarily stipulated in a in a contract yeah yeah other expectations i guess yeah i I think as you said for us i I think it's really important with the open door policy like i when when i when i've had coaches i've never gone for any other any other way than being able to communicate with the coach with any question that i have reaching out to them it doesn't mean that i expect an answer within the next uh, hour or so but it just means that it's not i have to wait until sunday two weeks from now to uh or or have a call that sort of thing what what about what about expectations for um like improvement is that something that uh that you would have or yeah how would you think about that yeah that's a that's a good question um you know i think what what does performance look like and that's a that's a question i'm probably tackling outside of coaching a lot as well um you know, in, in other aspects of, of kind of my work. But I think, um, you know, p- potentially performance sometimes means, you know, you have an athlete with a history of being injured and, and missing a lot of races. So you know, a win there is actually just keeping them uninjured, for instance, which should facilitate getting better, one would one would hope. But maybe that's your first kind of port of call. Similarly, like you could have an, an athlete that's kind of getting into the older age groups and actually just maintaining performance is, is kind of a win. And against, you know, comparatively to the competition, they're kind of getting better. Um, but, yeah, I think there's, there's an element there where if you are engaging in a coach-athlete relationship, in, in my opinion, you're doing it to improve, right? So I think you have to define what that looks like together. But, it, ultimately that 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 is the goal and and that's within the i guess confines and context of of your life and and what you have available um so you know that might just be about maximizing um the, the time that you have to, to try and get the best performance that you can so it doesn't necessarily mean you know progressing to being world champ but it, it means kind of doing the best that you can within within those confines yeah i think that um goal alignment there uh, this is something that we we do as part of our own onboarding process but making sure that we know what the, the athlete's goals are and it's not just what races do you want to do and and do you have time goals or position goals for those races it's things outside of that as you say not being injured uh it could be just being being more consistent uh being even i've seen being consistent with sleep that's something that athletes put there because they they know that they they don't sleep well or they don't sleep enough and and having a coach is one way that they will have the accountability to 
to make that work and so there, there can be many different things but i think that it's just something that you we have to communicate together in the in the relationship and and know that you have an alignment around what those goals are and again with what you said when you've coached somebody for many years and their life situation might change that a typical example would be what you said they they have kids and then things might suddenly look uh quite a lot different than what they did before and and that's something that you you need to basically be communicating about hey what are your goals now because in in many cases like that they will be different than than what they were before and from i've seen this happen with somebody having high performance goals before kids and then after kids it's more about making sure that they they stay consistent in training not get injured and uh, being able to get to the start line of some races feeling fit and happy but not necessarily having the same kind of performance goals they might have had before just because the time has been more limited in in training and and those sorts of things so um so yeah i think it's it's also something that the coach needs to be honest about with and be realistic if somebody is a 12 hour ironman athlete in the 30 to 34 men's age group and they come to you and say i want to qualify for kona next year then you're probably going to have to say that that's going to be very very difficult or or impossible uh depending on past results in their target race of course but but probably that's that's not going to happen in the next year maybe it can happen in two years or three years but i think that a coach needs to be really honest with that with those um those goal goal alignment conversations and and look at what is realistic and what's what's not realistic yeah definitely definitely and and i think there too you know as with anything in life like there's times to to you know push and there's times where potentially you know you you can kind of back off say like in off season and things like that and and the role of the the coach there is to as i said at the start maintain that Thirty thousand foot view of, of kind of where you want to get um and so you can kind of you know hopefully as an athlete have a little bit of that pressure taken off you and, and you're not worrying so much about your Ironman in 30 weeks but your coach is kind of planning with that in the background with a bit of an idea of how you're going to get there in 30 weeks if that makes sense <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so how does one go about getting a coach where where do you look and and what what do you look for yeah it's it's a good question um you know i think you have to have a think about what kind of feedback do you want you know um you know i can speak from experience a little bit i guess um i actually found for me surprisingly that the kind of coach that actually was the best was not necessarily the one that gave me lots of of data or you know sports science information like i'm very comfortable looking at that myself and and kind of working through that but actually someone that just was able to have quite deep philosophical conversations and and um you know empower me a little bit more um so for me that was important but you you know you might be the complete opposite from that you you kind of want some insight into how do i tackle this kind of data what's all this what are all these numbers you know what's happening physiologically um so having to think about what you actually want to get out of it and potentially you might not even know at the start so you reach out to a few different coaches that that seem to have quite distinctly different um ideas and and um ways of working and and you kind of have a conversation with all of them and and see you know what might fit best with you and and i always encourage that with people like i think it's it's really valuable to i wouldn't say shop around but but definitely do your due diligence before kind of jumping into a coach athlete relationship 
Yeah, and I think having that a call uh, is is really important before before having that relationship, not just on the athlete side, but also uh, I'm sure you agree as a coach, because there are situations when maybe the athlete is not the right fit for the coach, and uh, so so I think that having a call, not just an email conversation, before uh, starting uh, starting a relationship is is very important. Yeah, um, I, think, yeah. I think it's probably it's probably a red flag if. Um, a coach doesn't want to do that. Um, yeah. You know, and even then, I, I think a really uh, important thing there is after that call to actually take 24, 48 hours to just sit on it and, and think. Um, I think athletes can often be really eager straight straight off those calls to kind of get started. But it is important to, to kind of actually just take a step back and, and give yourself some time to, to think and reflect on it before jumping in. Yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, as, as for where to look a little bit more, I mean, I'll I'll give one example. So so I worked with David Tilbury Davis for a good uh, two and a half, almost three years, I think, and and um, I met him through the podcast. I had uh, met interviewed him a couple of times, and and then he was one of the the coaches that I I found was yeah he's he seemed to yeah have a have a f- philosophy that really aligned with with me and and a way of coaching that that aligned with mine so so then yeah, we had a chat and uh, and eventually i i got started with him when when we were working together so so it's so in in that, in that case i'm using my network so basically or or at least people that i that i know and and know something about and and i think that that's something that in a lot of cases that if you, especially if you uh, if you've been around for a while and you, you know some people then you might just have the right coach that you already in your phone book or or in your yeah. in your email contacts list so so that's what that's one way uh one way of going about it what what about if you're if you're completely uh when when you're when you're more getting into things and you don't really know anybody would you just google around or or what do you do yeah i think i think google is obviously um the the kind of option that, that most people would choose but i think at this at this stage too you know secondary to say a google search if you did find some names um probably a lot of them have, have been on podcasts or, or things like that so there probably is some material where you could listen for an hour and, and get an understanding of of kind of who they are and i think that that's um that's a, a really kind of new thing but but probably worthwhile investigating too yeah yeah and and of course um asking around with like your your friends your athlete peers uh, if if there are some somebody some of your friends have have been coached and that's uh that's another good way to to go about it and uh, yeah because yeah again in my example with with david um one of my friends rasmus he had already been been coached by david for a while so um so yeah that was i already knew a bit how how things were working and and um, yeah that's it seemed seemed all positive and good so so that that's 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 one example just asking 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 your friends for recommendations basically if you if you have friends that are coached already yeah and probably a, a unique situation that applies to only a small percentage of the listeners here i guess but i mean i was the same with, with david you know, some years ago and and yeah one of my good friends here was was coached by him so you know i reached out to him and, and it was it kind of worked well because we could tee up together as well on some sessions and things like that um so even though we were coached remotely like we had the same coach which which meant that you know we could align some things around races which was which was cool yeah what are when you have uh, 
conversation with a potential coach what are some things that as an athlete you would you would ask the coach yeah um that's an interesting question like i think you want to i, I mean the, the tempting ones to say like what what is your philosophy but as a coach i kind of sit back and think well um my philosophy is is basically rooted in what we've already spoken about which is that that coach athlete relationship being so important um you know i think think just asking around about experience you know um also you know have you worked with athletes similar to me and that's not to say that you know you can necessarily translate um what you've done with someone else to them because everyone is an individual but i think having some experience there is is important and and perhaps you know on the flip side of that if the coach hasn't had an experience with an athlete like you then you might actually be willing to kind of you know, be the, the case for them to, to kind of be that, that first person um, that's in your position so that you can really be collaborative on, on trying some new things and potentially that means they come with some really novel ideas. Um, so I think I think that's probably an important question is just understanding experience and background and, and their knowledge base. Um, you know, beyond that, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I'll, I'll bring that question back to you. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's uh, all of those things that you said. Uh, I don't have too much to add, but I think it's just you can you can sense when you have a discussion how you gel with a coach, basically. And uh, I guess one other thing, as we already talked about communication, like I, I would definitely ask for that as one of the the most important questions. What is the communication like, or what what are the options for communication? Because as we talked about, it can be different for different athletes, but but yeah i would i would like to hear that there is kind of an open door policy and uh yeah then then it would be more about just see having having a good yeah be, having a good conversation where you feel like okay i get along well with this coach she's somebody that or she's somebody that that i can that i can have that i can trust and that i feel comfortable with that i could send even personal information let's say if i have family issues that impact yeah. my training i would be comfortable sharing those sorts of things so so i think it's yeah basically also getting into or looking into how the coach is as as a communicator a lot and uh, yeah how even yeah emotional uh eq basically uh, emotional intelligence that that sort of thing i think would be would be another important one yeah, absolutely. I, I think if you walk away feeling like it's going to be a dictatorship, then it's potentially um, probably not not the most uh, productive relationship. Yeah. And what, as a coach, what, what questions uh, do you ask athletes? Are there any things that you want to know from them before jumping into a coaching relationship? Yeah, I think fundamentally, like, what what is the expectation? I mean, I think you touched on it before around, you know, if, if the kind of ambition far out 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 uh, outweighs ability, then then you kind of even on that first call, you I think a coach you should be honest about that. Um, you know, otherwise you're kind of just um, yeah selling selling a dream that that's probably not viable um so i think just understanding the expectation in terms of what does the athlete actually want to achieve um and look in some cases that might be as simple as i just want to wake up and have training there and i just go out and do it you know that, that can actually be quite powerful for people so it could be that simple but i think understanding where they want to go and also where they've been what they've already experienced in in the sport um 
you know, what they have tried before in terms of, of training, what they liked and didn't like, um, you know, that that's really important because if, if you're seeing some things there as a coach where an athlete is saying, oh, you know, I, I didn't like this and didn't like that, but then you, you think that might be something that they could actually really use, then then there might be some challenges down the line as well. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, and I, I would add a, a little bit, I would ask about their basically their ability to be consistent whether it's about just getting out the door getting the training done but also things like injury history uh that sort of thing um and because that that would be an important part of their goal alignment basically because if they have they might be a talented athlete but if they have some big goals and they have historically not been able to be consistent that's something that before uh getting started i would like to know that is are things going to be are you going to be able to be consistent and uh, of course part of that would be the coach's job in helping them stay healthy and injury free but it would also be a bit on the athlete so so i think that there are some cases where maybe uh, an athlete has a history of of just losing motivation and and not doing the training and i think in those scenarios that would be something that i would maybe nudge the athlete that yeah you you have to somehow show that that you will be able to be consistent if you are going to have these goals and these expectations of of a coaching relationship so that that would be an an important one for me yeah and and i think there's probably one other thing i'd touch on is is just trying to like see if there's any red flags where you think you might um yeah have misalignment in terms of how you're going to to kind of go through the process so so one might be you know a really restrictive diet for instance um that's not to say that you wouldn't work with the athlete but you'd have to be clear around okay well, we actually need this much fuel and and how it, and, you know trying to understand it how is that viable within that diet for instance so just being aware that like you might have to work on on those things early days and and um not not kind of uh stumbling upon that three or four months in when you you can't work out why they are inconsistent but you didn't know those things in the first place because you didn't ask yeah no that's a really big one actually and and you can flip that around as well to the athlete side when as an athlete you have uh, let's say an interview with a coach that this is something that comes from uh, uh, andy kirkland who has been on the podcast before but he he talks about how as an athlete uh you have to be comfortable eating an ice cream in front of your coach and again this is one of those things that to us sounds like of super evident but unfortunately it's not always that super evident as as we see evidence of in the in the real world yeah. and but if you're an athlete and you you have a, that conversation with the coach and somehow the the uh the discussion uh gets into diet and things and you feel like um i actually wouldn't be comfortable having an ice cream in front of this coach then th- that for that would be a that should be a red flag because i yeah, i think that that's uh yeah dangerous a slippery slope basically yeah yeah and as an athlete too probably a question to ask a coach is do they subscribe to anything like that 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 they want to manipulate within your life that that could be really restrictive yeah yeah um let's talk about pricing a little bit uh there are quite large wide-ranging prices for for coaching um how how should an athlete think about that it's a good question i mean i always come back to uh, i coached an athlete once and and i I don't coach him anymore but he always justified it by telling me that hey mate like 
for me to go and see a personal trainer once a week costs costs more than than you do so don't don't stress um and i always found that quite quite empowering i think that's probably a, a good yardstick um yeah as you said there's su- such a range out there and, and in a sense you are paying a little bit for um experience and and knowledge and things like that i mean if you look across examples in the real world like i guess you know one would hope that say they do a you know, p- people go back to uni to do an MBA so that they can get a higher paying job, for instance, right? So if a coach is bringing, you know, 10, 20, 30 years of experience plus, you know, they've put in a lot of work to develop understanding, then potentially they can, you know, justify a higher price point. Um, but, yeah, I, th- I think that there's, there's a big range there and, and also what is the coach actually offering in terms of, yeah, these things like communication, um, you know, personalization, all that. So, um I'm probably not that well across pricing across the board. You're, you're, you probably are a little bit better than me. Um, but yeah, that, that's my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I think for us, so we always have the prices available on the website. Uh, I, I don't tend to say the prices on the podcast because it's evergreen. People go and listen to these podcasts uh, from years back. So it's better to just go and check the website because then you get the up-to-date pricing information because uh, they have changed. Um, but yeah, anybody can go and, and look on the website. I think a lot of coaches don't have their prices on the website, so uh, which is not wrong. I mean, that's common in a lot of industries. I think for us, like there's no point hiding the price because if if it's too expensive for somebody then it, then it is and uh, and i think that i think it's very good value another thing that i think about with our pricing is that we have the customized plans of course where where you get based on a detailed onboarding questionnaire you you get a plan that is customized for you usually delivered in let's say six to eight week blocks at a time by by one coach who takes all the things into account but you lose out on the communication things and, and things like that so it's not that that is not coaching that is a customized plan and we make the distinction and, and what i always try to do in our pricing with that is that the i i want the coaching to be the best value that we have like compared to the, the customized plan uh, and the, and even to ready-made plans but there is still that ladder in terms of realistically not everybody has the ability or the willingness to spend uh that much money on their hobby which triathlon is for most people not for the professionals of course but but for most people it is so so there is that i guess a a value ladder and and options for people but i think yeah i think with pricing it's you have to think about well first of all how much are you willing to spend and then it's almost like like anything that uh there is some probably some correlation between uh between the price and the quality but it's also not like a direct or like a strict correlation so you yeah you have to you have to just when when you talk to a coach and if they either they have their pricing available on the website or they tell you during the call you have to make the the basically the trade of the or you have to think about the trade of there is it does it seem worth it for for you it's individual for everybody but as you say the personal trainer example is is a pretty good one in triathlon you could talk about uh is it worth it to upgrade your three-year-old tt bike to a new one that costs ten thousand dollars how how many months of coaching could you get for that and how much faster if that is your goal would that coaching get, get you compared to buying a new tt bike i think that a lot of triathletes spend a lot of money on gear equipment gadgets and and actually the coach can help a lot of athlete, athletes save a lot of money by 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 helping them with equipment choices and that's something that that i think is 
it's also worth worth considering that that you can get tips about about what is what is worth it to buy and what is not worth it to buy for for you as an athlete. Yeah, and I think even just from the perspective of the coach, there's probably mm. you know within that pricing, like there's a, there's a lot of hidden costs that potentially the athletes don't see, whether you know tax and and you know, training peaks, internet, phone, all these things. Like, yeah, that's part of running a business, but but also that's always factored in too. So I think being mindful of that's important as well. Yeah, definitely. It's not the the pricing that the athlete pays is not the take home, uh, the take home money for for the coach. Um, yeah, then. I guess a couple of things around um, the timeline of coaching. How 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 long a time should should somebody be coached? How long should you give it before you expect to see some changes or improvements? Is it beneficial to be coached for a few months before a key race and then stop? There, there's a lot of questions that we could go into about the timeline of things. So yeah, feel free to riff about that a bit. Yeah, I think the timeline in terms of an athlete-coach relationship, it can kind of be as long as it still is is productive, you know. I think we've seen examples of that, um, you know, in, in the real world with, with elite-level athletes working with coaches for their whole career. So it, it definitely works. And I think um, a reason why those relationships, from my perspective, tend to work is that the coach is unafraid to ask for advice outside of that bubble and bring other people in occasionally i think that's that's um really important as well to to kind of have confidence that you don't know everything and sometimes you can outsource those problems so sometimes that is a a coach athlete relationship but the coach is also bringing other people into the fold occasionally to kind of answer questions and, and that's that's helpful um in terms of though like the the three months before a race kind of thing it's something that i i battle with and and probably you know i would struggle with that as a coach kind of knowing that going in because i i do think it does take time to develop you know firstly the communication style that works best but then also the the training that works best and and similarly like you know uh the same man never crosses the same river twice, right? So just because something worked for an athlete last time doesn't mean you can kind of copy-paste that into it to another build and, and you'll get the same results. So, um, you know, I think I think that learning and, and that's where over, you know, a longer period of time an athlete-coach relationship can develop because you have tried things and you've seen what's worked and then you've tried it again and maybe it didn't work the same way. So you can come at come at it with a, a different perspective and try something else. And and I think all these things are valuable and and um, they allow for not only the athlete to learn but the coach as well, right? So um, yeah, it's it's probably a rabbit hole that's that's hard to to pin down what's optimal in terms of a timeline. But but I do think that. Um, that really short kind of 10, 12 weeks into a race, um, it, it can work, but um, it's probably suboptimal. Yeah, I agree. I think you have to, with that, you have to be very clear about what to expect. I think that in terms of training, we we all know training training takes time or improvement in endurance sports is a game of patience. So in one to two months, you, you can't do too much in terms of training. There's no there's no magic uh magic workout or magic magic training plan that's going to change you as an athlete in in that timeline i guess what you can do in an athlete in that situation or what you can gain is um more so almost use it as 
uh, a few consultations leading into a race with the ongoing communication. So uh, having chats about things like your race plan, your race nutrition, hydration. Um, yeah, even yeah things like leading into the race, discussions on tapering, how to how to handle that. Um, yeah, all those sorts of things. So so it's it becomes almost like a like an ongoing consultation for a little while leading into the race, which can be which can be really helpful, of course, and beneficial. But but I think for the training improvements, you uh, you can't expect expect like two big improvements in you know a very short time frame. That that takes time, and and as you said, that, that's why we see even at the top level of the sport, athletes that have worked with athletes their whole career and are still improving. And that that it yeah. can, as long as, as as you said, as long as the the relationship is productive, like uh, yeah, you you want to you, you it makes sense to keep keep going for it as long as the goals are still to improve. Yeah, and I think just in that short-term timeline, um, probably there's enough scope to, to individualize, say, something like pacing if you had 12 weeks, for instance. But at the same time, um, it, it's still going to be a little bit generic. Like an athlete might improve over time and on paper their 20-minute power doesn't get better. But in an Ironman, instead of holding, you know, point. 7% of, of quote-unquote FTP, then maybe they can hold 0.76 and, and still run better than they were before. So um, there's elements there where like even from a pacing perspective, um, what's optimal might might change over time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, at what point uh, do you think that a long-term coaching relationship has run its course? What, what does that look like? I think there's times when it, it it's kind of just a natural stop for life reasons, you know. Yeah, for instance, having kids or um, like in my case, I just I stopped racing professionally. So that just made sense. Like I, I didn't need to be coached anymore, right? Um, so there's some natural ways that it ends. Um, similarly, like you might just as a – as an athlete, as a person, feel like you need to try something different. And I, and I think that's that's quite empowering too. I mean, every coach is going to have different quirks and different ideas and, and come at things differently with different communication techniques and, and styles. And and sometimes just, just some change and some, some novel stimulus is, is really powerful as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't have anything anything to add to that. Um Let's see here. So maybe we move into some some listener questions here to make sure that we get to them. Uh, got a few. Uh, if you yeah you follow Scientific Triathlon HQ on Instagram, that's where I usually put up these uh, opportunities to send in listener questions. Uh, the first one that we have is how to know if a coach is potentially a good fit for you before deciding to reach out. I think we already answered that, um, but I just wanted to to read it out to for the person asking that. Yeah, we we did answer that earlier. Uh, the next one uh, would be interesting to hear your thoughts on Mark Matthews' self-coaching ranting on online coaching. Did you listen to that? Uh, no, I haven't listened to that. Uh, sorry, but um, yeah, you, you can fill me in. I, I guess, yeah, I guess um, I, I did listen to it. Ba- basically, we I think we've already we've already said our, our thoughts because I think that the the arguments that were made in that podcast were not. In my opinion, they, they're not about coaching. That's it's a different thing. Uh, maybe there are some people that um, pose as coaches that do do those things. I think there were basically extreme examples that uh, that yeah, any coach with integrity would not do. But basically, that you're as an athlete, you're basically just buying a training plan that is a basic 
template plan that the coach gives to every athlete and and that as an athlete you have to fit your life to that training plan you don't have any input and 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 that you will also never be able to train with other people and uh and it will get boring and you'll burn out <laughs> so there there are some i think i think they're they're basically i don't know like a bit clickbaity things that i think we've tackled most of them but maybe the one training with other people we haven't talked about you mentioned there your example with training with simon when you were coached by david and and i think that that's something that um that we we both do we any coach that takes their job seriously will will have the athlete train with other people if that is something that the athlete wants to do and has the opportunity to do and and in many cases will even encourage the athlete to do if for example let's say an athlete has a weakness in in swimming then we might say that hey maybe you should join a swim squad for a while and see how that goes because training with better swimmers could help you or it might be an athlete um is a is not the best technical bike rider and then you could have them go and and ride with cyclists and and then that could help them learn learn those kinds of skills or they have trouble pushing themselves in the run going and doing runs together with a training buddy those sorts of things so i think that it's not just that you can do it as an athlete if you're coached but sometimes the coach uses training together with others as a as an intervention almost to help you overcome some or to improve in in, in different areas within your sport yeah I, i'm totally with you like it, it'd be very very rare for me to um to, set, to tell someone kind of no you shouldn't go and, and train with others and I say very rare because I actually did it today but we are nine days out from 70.3 worlds and I, I thought a fast big bunch ride might just be a little bit dangerous um, <clears throat> but aside from that I think we certainly are, are more than happy to kind of integrate that into the planning process and, and that's where I think as, as I've talked about from the start, maintaining that overarching 30,000 foot view is like you can integrate that training in and, you know, you just kind of pull some other levers and, and maybe change some other sessions to, to make it work well. But I think the, um, the power of getting out with other people and, and socialising, you know, I think just psychologically even is, is really important and, and um, you know, I think that should, should be encouraged. Um, something you reminded me of, uh, before you started asking that question that I thought was worth touching on that I didn't touch on before is, you know, when you, when you're reaching out to a coach is asking about turnover, like, um, you know, how long are athletes actually staying with you? Um, and I think that's a, it's a, it's a good question because I, I mean, I know of companies where there's really high turnover and, and potentially, you know, at that point they kind of just become a bit of a marketing business, right? They're not really worried about athlete retention and, and I don't think a coach should should necessarily worry about athlete retention from a perspective of, oh, you know, I just need money and I'm trying to sell them on staying. But it's about obviously, you know, having that coach-athlete relationship and developing and, and you know, it might be three or four years. And, and if a coach historically builds those relationships and is willing to put in the time to do so, then then that's probably a pretty good sign. Yeah, yeah, that, that's good. And, and And even asking about how many athletes uh the coach coaches and uh and how they're managing that because um yeah there are i don't think it's common but there are definitely examples of coaches that uh, coach so many people that that it's uh clear that it it would be very difficult to do that to a to a high individual individual level and i guess that's one of the one of the other points that was made in that uh, mark 
Matthew's podcast, even though I think that it was taken to the to the level that everybody does that, which <laughs> which I don't think is the case. Yeah, I've anecdotally heard the highest I've heard of, of reported is 150, which uh, I'd need about 150 hours a day to be able to handle that. But um, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess I guess the other thing that we should mention there. Sorry, there's an alarm going off. Uh, the other thing that we could mention there with um, that you have to fit your life to your coach's plan. Um, I mean, that's something I think it's it's more the opposite that that I'm almost trying to sometimes chase down information from the athlete about their whereabouts and their upcoming schedule and so on to make sure that I can fit the plan to what's going on in in their life. So so it's definitely for any amateur athlete that that should not be the case and that isn't the case. Like the your life schedule, family work, and so on, is are things that are generally immovable, and to some extent at least, and and or there are some immovable parts of them, and then the training has to fit around it, and and I think that that's very evident uh, that 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 needs to be taken into account in the, in the training, and that's why we individualize training and we don't put a template plan on a coach athlete. Um, yeah, I guess those were the main the main points. Yeah, I, so we I move mean, on to the I, next. I think- Think of some examples there with with people that work like shift work, you know. So it might be night, day, uh, evening, things like you know, overnight. If if you're kind of just giving a generic plan there, then it's just never going to work, right? So yeah, the, yeah. the coach should always be, um, you know, individualizing it to to fit in with the athlete's life and, and maximize the time that they have available. And if that's not the case, then yeah, I think I think that's uh, that's a big red flag. Yeah, yeah um yeah the next one we also already answered but i'll read it out to make sure that we that the the listener asking is happy so it's how long do we use a coach uh is it forever it seems one can get addicted to the accountability and i think we we answered that one fully already uh the next one what can an athlete do to develop the uh, coach athlete relationship beyond the obvious so i read this question as, as what are what are yeah what yeah the athletes part in the coach athlete relationship actually the same listener asked another question what makes an age group coach happy related to the athlete so those are kind of uh, in the same vein, vein and we can yeah. tackle them together i'll start with the first one because i actually think one of the most powerful things that i can get is feedback um and it doesn't always have to be positive like sometimes it can just be constructive criticism like and i think you know like any job in the world you you need to be able to take that on board adapt and and improve and i think you you know that that comes down to the coach creating an, an environment that um facilitates that you know where athletes feel comfortable saying that but but in the end like this is a it's a service industry and, and as an athlete you you should feel comfortable to give feedback to coaches about what isn't you know up to your expectation and and what is and and so that they can actually be the best version of them that they can be for you if that makes sense yeah no that that 100 that's a good one um yeah i think it's a bit of a different one but but i think the way we work at least it's um it's a coach athlete relationship but it's also just a general relationship like i feel in that you have a very close relationship with the athletes and they they become friends uh, as well as an athlete yeah. you coach so so i think a personal example i got married earlier this summer and uh, all of my athletes basically were 
congratulating me and and sending sending texts on uh, on the wedding day and things like that and and that's something that made me very happy when when the athlete uh it's when you when you realize that yeah it's not just a coach athlete relationship but it's also like yeah there are people that care about you as a person just like you as a coach care about the athlete as a person yeah i can think of so many um examples where you know i know the athlete's husband or wife or or partner's name and i feel like i know their kids and their dog and um yeah it definitely it definitely is um quite close yeah uh, I'm trying to think if there's if there's anything else. Yeah, I think I think the I, I guess the other thing is just being um, f- just just the athlete being on on top of uh, giving feedback about how the training is going. Like so, basically writing the comments in yeah. Training Peaks if that's what you use, and and um, yeah, making sure that they upload the workouts in a in a timely manner. It doesn't have to be immediately, but but not make, making days go by without uh, without a word. And and if they don't do a workout, just keeping me as a coach up to date with hey what's what's uh, what's going on and if they they had to skip a workout then let me letting me know and that's fine but but not uh, yeah not not leaving me in the dark about what's going on that's that's important yeah yeah absolutely um, um in terms of what like makes an age group coach happy i guess yeah it's it's all of the above that we've talked about like yeah um yeah it's it's so so much uh I wouldn't say easier, but um, more rewarding when there is good feedback and and you have that you know strong relationship. Um, it, it really it really means that as a coach you can do your job to the best of your ability, and I think that that's all we strive to do. Yeah, I guess another one as well is uh, if you can manage to meet up in person, even uh, in a remote coaching relationship, which um, I think. Over time, especially when you coach an athlete for a long time, there there can, can opportunities can come up when that is a possibility, whether it's easily achievable or more uh, a more difficult thing to achieve. But when you manage to do that, that can also take the relationship to the next level. I feel so whether it is, uh, yeah, the athlete coming to a training camp or it is you happen you you just happen to go to the same race uh, and you can meet up there, or the athlete is just doing some touristing in your country and then you manage to meet up through through that there or you do or the opposite you as a coach go happen to be in the athlete's country so there are many situations when when this can happen i've been through all of the above many many times and and over time i managed to meet uh, almost every single one of my athletes uh, and and have one more coming up in 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 a week or so at the next race so so that's always yeah that's always a good thing when you yeah when you this goes on both the athlete and the coach but trying to if there is any opportunity to try to meet meet up that's that's a good one yeah absolutely i mean i'm a little bit stuck on this this island in the middle of nowhere in australia but um you know i certainly think the australian athletes love coming up to where i live um it's a pretty nice spot so but yeah i think the training camp for me it's been super powerful in that respect in terms of um yeah catching up with european and, and u.s athletes and I, I mean i can attest to that from the first camp that we run, ran like just with the athletes of mine that were there in the last couple of years um yes yeah, it's, it's definitely taken that relationship to, to another level and i think that's that's been a really really good tool <laughs> yeah and then the final listener question is if you're an athlete on a budget and can't have a coach all year when is it most important and i feel we kind of answered this i'll i'll give my thoughts here first but i think that if that is the case i would actually i would do it er- sooner rather than later so do it 
immediately even if let's say now you're training for a race in june 2024 so in in uh, 10 months or so and you have four months of coaching budget i I would do it now for a couple of reasons Mm -hmm. first of all it sets you up with good training right now that you can then build on rather than potentially having not very good training right now i I think that just it's it's basically yeah it's it's, it's a bit like investing the sooner you start the more uh things accumulate through compound interest and uh and i think that that's the same with training but also with the the education that you'll get through that coaching relationship and and you can basically because you can see you can kind of experience what things uh the coach uh, advise you to do in terms of training and and you can use the things that seem to work going forward for the following eight months in this example and the same thing with advice you get around other things that are not just training but uh equipment nutrition hydration um other any other things injury prevention sleep etc etc so so i think that doing it sooner rather than later uh because then you will have a lot of knowledge with you that you maybe wouldn't have otherwise for the following uh period of time that so i would always do it uh, as soon as possible and then you'll get the most bang for buck basically yeah i I think i'd almost um well i think i'd almost recommend if if you knew you had say 12 months to a a goal race for instance i would actually say and you're on a really limited budget i I would suggest the money is better spent on just consults um you know for an hour or hour and a half every second month or something like that um just as you said to kind of get some advice on what the next say eight weeks should look like and and yeah you're not going to have a plan and not have communication but at least you have some ideas you know from someone um that should have have a good understanding of of what what might be best for you in in that kind of next block um i I think that's that's probably how i would use the money honestly yeah no that's actually a good call um yeah i like that idea um yeah one other thing i guess that i wrote down as talking points or questions is one was um the question of is artificial intelligence going to replace the the coach and the second one was future trends in coaching those two maybe go a little bit hand in hand so what are your thoughts on that i'm not super up to date on where ai is in terms of coaching but the experience i've had in that space is essentially that the way it works is yes it it does adapt um you know to certain metrics but but at the same time um it's still pulling essentially from a a bank of workouts designed by a coach or coaches so it's still biased towards a certain um way of programming or or philosophy um and similarly like i can think of a lot of instances where we might have seen some wacky numbers if it's hrv or heart rate or things but it's purely caused by the hardware so that there's an example of you know we're having a human there to, to understand that um, can, can be powerful. Um, but but as we've kind of talked about through this whole thing, I think the idea behind um, a coach-athlete relationship is that it is really it's a learning experience for both parties but but definitely for the, for the athlete to shape how they work and find out what works for them. And, and um, yeah, I think, I, I think AI probably will come in as a helpful tool in terms of um, – minimizing time spent on mundane tasks like for instance building a workout on training peaks which i do a lot of like just takes time if i could just 
speak to an AI and say, can you just build this workout? That would save me five minutes at times, you know, however many times you do that, which you can then spend that time on, on other things like uh, even learning, you know, um, whatever that looks like in terms of education or things like that. But, um, yeah, I think that's probably where I see AI starting to fit in um, and it's inevitable, like it will come and there will be products that, look fantastic and and promise things and and to be honest um in, to an extent they will work but will they be better than you know a coach using all the available tools yeah i would i would hope not um and i and i don't foresee that being the case just yet um uh what was the other part of that question sorry i forgot uh future trends in coaching yeah, well, that, that's it. And I think I probably answered it is that I think coaches will be able to spend less time on kind of those tasks and more time on, on developing their skill set. And I think, um, you know, big, a big aspect there is probably in psychology and, and philosophy and things like that. I think there's a lot of scope there for, um, coaches becoming much better coaches and and really helping their athletes progress you know um not just physiologically but also kind of psychologically and, and kind of empowering them to, to go on and race really to their potential which you know, in the end is is what we're aiming for and, and is often quite hard to actually achieve in practice yeah i think you touched on a lot of really good points there um i definitely agree with that the, yeah the future trend one of the future trends there being the coaches having to yeah be more um holistic in their knowledge with things like psychology emotional intelligence those sorts of things be not just able to understand training and physiology but be really good communicators be really good at understanding people um, that's, that's how we better individualize as well right um yeah you know i i come back to that idea of evidence informed practice so it's like taking the best available evidence but then also experience and also you know those kind of lifestyle and environmental factors and, and the, the role of the coach is bringing that all together and, and i think that um when you have to spend less time on you know just tasks that are purely you know keying in numbers and things like that um then you can really develop that skill set yeah and i think uh as you said with ai today at least uh, one really big problem is that the input data needs to be super clean and i think that until we see that even like we can clean the data in the first place and and detect uh incorrect data and, and ignore that which i haven't seen yet then um, until then it's it's questionable how how well the output how good the output is going to look like because there are so many examples of i i ask an athlete hey this heart rate here that was recorded with your watch not your heart rate monitor right yeah. and and that was true but i don't know that an ai or a, an automatic algorithm would have would have recognized that necessarily because it still looks like a heart rate trace but but yeah it's i think it will take a lot of time to get to that point where where we can pick up on all of those nuances and and be able to handle all of the missing data or uh incorrect data and i guess this is also one of those things that coming back to a previous question with what makes uh, an age group coach happy uh it, it, it's not like i don't i don't demand this from my athlete i don't demand that they are 
perfect or anything or even close to perfect with clean data but it definitely makes me happy when i get clean data and and some athletes are are pretty are really good at that and they always mention that oh sorry this heart rate was from my from my watch uh and next time i'll have my heart rate monitor yeah. uh and but sometimes i have to i have to be the one to recognize recognize that and and yeah that's an important still obstacle i think for ai but the other one as you say is that the the prescription still comes from a database of workouts and and i think that that's still imperfect uh there, there's still i know that for example some of the workouts that you would prescribe would be things like i think you call it maybe soul miles for just going out and riding and and enjoying it and 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 we both tend to have some splice workouts where you um give a certain amount of minutes that are work and a certain amount of minutes that are recovery but the athlete can splice them up however they want so those things that are not as directly prescriptive necessarily i think ai is still limited to always giving very prescriptive and almost robotic uh training and that's not always the best uh Mm. in many cases it's definitely not the best so so i think Mm. that's another limitation I mean, I I don't feel like my job as a coach is threatened. I've been offered a role in an AI company a, a year or so ago, and and I yeah, I'm not really interested in 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 doing that because I think that it's going to be a, a helpful tool to save time, but I I don't see it getting to the point where it can replace uh, a, a human coach and yeah, get anywhere near that really. So so it's not yeah. really a competitor. It's going to be a, a tool that that's going to be very helpful for saving time. We, we could get into the weeds, but we, what we aren't talking about, I guess, is like uh, artificial general intelligence, which maybe then that, that starts to, to change and things. But then, then again, mm-hmm. um, you know, I see it on a weekly basis with coaches of Olympic level athletes, like the, them being there on, on pool deck and, and what they can kind of get out of that coach athlete relationship and in those really high performance spaces, I just think it's, it's irreplaceable. Um, it really is. Um, and, and then, yeah, what you touched on as well from the bank of workouts, like I, I can think of a number of, ex- of examples with some of my pro 70.3 athletes where it's like, I'm not that far removed and I've, I've done the race and I've, I know all the, the people in the race. I've got a fairly good idea of how it's going to play out. So you kind of, yeah, developing sessions based on how you think the race might actually play out. So they're pre- prepared for that situation. So, um, yeah, there's, there's, there's a way to go, but I see it as a, as a valuable tool in, in the toolkit moving forward. Yeah, that's, that's a great point, actually, that, that I think that probably the easiest thing for AI to to do would be to, develop to the point that it can be really effective at improving an athlete's physiology but that's only one part of performance so as you say knowing how the race is going to play out and train accordingly even things like it might be easy enough for the ai to say set a certain power target for an athlete but in many cases uh, power doesn't make you fast speed makes you fast so uh, when will the ai figure that out when will the ai figure out that with this athlete the limitation is not power it's aerodynamics and we need to work on that or uh, this athlete um, yeah i guess i guess it could be feasible for ai if it gets all the data to identify that an athlete is not fueling enough if they if the athlete has to input all of the all of the things that they're eating but but i think a coach has a lot of an easier time to figure that out in a conversation without without having the data uh so then because that's if you're going to feed all of that data into the ai it's going to be very cumbersome 
Yeah, and then then again, like nutrition might be the issue, but actually the underlying issue is psychological. So yeah, you know, there's, yeah. there's instances of that too. Um, so yeah, I think there's a there's a lot of things that um, you just pick up on, and and even if it's little things, little comments, little you know tone, all these things, I, I think that. Uh, they're things that you pick up as a human being and, and they just get refined to the space of coaching in, in endurance sports, I guess. Yeah. I think that that's a good place to wrap up on or do you have any other things that we should discuss? No, I think that's good Good with me. It's nearly dinner time here, so I'll be happy to go start cooking. All right. All good, mate. Well, thank you for this and uh, catch up with you soon. Thanks, mate. I hope that you enjoyed that interview. As uh, in this particular episode, I was not just the interviewer, but taking an active part in the discussion. Uh, I, we finished the recording, and uh, a few minutes later, I started thinking about things that I forgot to say that I would have wanted to say. And since I have the opportunity, why not add a few thoughts? I'm not going to add all of the things that I and do a complete uh, complete optimization of things I said, but there's one topic in particular that I feel that um, I didn't I didn't really remember a lot of the things that I that I had planned beforehand to say and that is uh, on the topic of whether an athlete that has the goal of improvement can do just as well by educating themselves uh, rather than having a coach so educating themselves in this case would mean through uh, things like books podcasts youtube and and whatnot uh, and yeah the, the things that i wanted to add to what we already said is that firstly i want to say that of course this is possible and this can and does happen for some people um the athlete might get a coach but they improve less than what they in a parallel universe would have uh would have done by doing things on their own um but i would argue that this is the exception it's not it's not the rule and and it, it is a pretty rare exception uh, you've probably been quite unlucky uh, or maybe not even done your due diligence properly with not choosing the right coach for you if if that is the case uh, and the same thing could happen in in anything really let's say going to a doctor you might go to a doctor and they prescribe surgery and in the end, the surgery doesn't have a great outcome. And in a parallel universe, you would have been better off maybe not going to the doctor. But uh, yeah, of course, I'm not saying that that is equally common or that it's comparable in any other way because I really have no idea how, how often that would happen. But but the point is that it can happen in, in anything that we're doing. So yeah, worst case scenario arguments, I, I don't think are really that good arguments basically uh, you would more so want to look at well what is the most likely outcome of uh, of doing something versus not doing something so then that leads me to to the second point which is that it is unlikely that an athlete alongside their own training and work and family could really spend the necessary time to catch up on the knowledge and education that a good coach would have uh, and that's a pretty simple thing to understand uh a parallel uh, from personal experience would be web development. In the early days of Scientific Triathlon, I did all of the uh, web development. I, I built the website for scientifictriathlon.com myself. And I taught myself from the ground up how to do that. 
the current version of the website, while it does have some bugs that I'm aware of uh, and haven't uh, fixed or had fixed, I should say, it is much cleaner and much more user-friendly. Like I would say 10 times as clean and user-friendly and works a hell of a lot better on mobile than it used to do and just looks nicer. And this is because I hired a web developer who spends their entire day doing this to help me with the website. Uh, because even if in theory I had the capacity to, to learn how to build a website, uh, as shown by the fact that I did do that initially, and, and I did improve it with the early iteration, it, of course, from, from the very first iteration to wherever it was when I then eventually hired a web developer, but I was never going to catch up to anywhere near the level of an actual professional in the field who spends uh, their entire day doing that one thing. Uh, and uh, and the same would be true for yeah trying to learn everything about training and coaching and so on. Uh, and finally, even if one does have all the time in the world for self-education through books, podcasts, YouTube, scientific papers, and and you don't have to worry about work or family or things like that, so you can spend your, your life training and educating yourself, then actually, if, if that's what you want to do, then you're, uh, you're on the path towards becoming a coach, and that is amazing. But if, just from the perspective of uh, self-coaching versus, versus coaching uh, in this case, it's not just about reading and memorizing a ton of resources like that. It, it's that's not the same as knowing how to coach yourself because uh, it's it's not a hard science. And it's uh, it's like I don't know if this is actually a saying in English, but in in Swedish we say something like, "In theory, practice and theory is the same, but in practice, theory and practice is different." And and I think that uh, that is definitely the case the case here. Like you can you can have a very good theoretical knowledge from a bunch of different sources and resources but but that is not the same as uh knowing how to coach well and i guess to piggyback on what we talked about with coaching being being teamwork uh even if you as an athlete even potentially know more about let's say physiology and sports science than than your coach that doesn't mean that you can't benefit from having your coach because as a team you can complement each other and the coach can provide that invaluable objectivity and practical experience that you might be missing even with the the greatest self-education in the world and also on that point one advantage that coaches have is that their knowledge comes not just from um, from resources like the ones mentioned above it does not come just from their experience actually coaching athletes uh, it's not just informal and formal education but it's also from their network so a coach that has five other coaches let's say that they are in close contact with and and can discuss with uh, they have an Im- immense advantage because they can get uh, they, they can have that developing conversation and discourse with with their peers and get direct feedback and critique on on their ideas and their perspectives they can get new perspectives they can get input in areas where they are weaker and they can give input in areas where they are stronger so i to finish off this point uh another personal experience not not from well it's kind of from coaching i guess because earlier this year i was starting to learn how to surf and uh I re- I checked and there's like a gazillion videos on how to learn how to surf, how to do a pop-up for beginners on YouTube. And I, I could watch them all, but actually doing it in practice would still take me that much longer uh, if I if I did, did that without the help of a of a good coach that spends their days uh, teaching people how to do it and and 
so that's what I did. I got some small group lessons with high quality coaches and they watched me and observed me and gave uh, objective feedback so that I could correct my mistakes from attempt to attempt to catch a wave. And uh, yeah, that's, I watched I think one YouTube video, so I didn't waste a lot of time there. And uh, and yeah, I pretty quickly kind of got started and, and got basically got the ball rolling and uh, and got some good early progress by by immediately deciding that okay, I'm just learning how to surf. I'm just going to take lessons uh, for quite some time until until I know until i feel a lot more comfortable in doing some of it myself and then maybe what i would do is not stop taking lessons but maybe starting to phase in doing some some surfing on my own and some as as lessons and that is me speaking from the perspective of a complete beginner to surfing who had never done it before uh so that's just one one parallel that the the information is out there uh, it's not it's not a question of the information and access to information that that's the thing with the internet these days but um yeah just how how do you use the information how can does it really help you in practice that's a completely different different question but to reiterate this is not me saying that everybody should have a coach because there are many reasons why you would and would not have uh, a coach and and we discussed that in the in the episode but i think that um yeah i think i think a lot of people that are have a very in large interest in the let's say theory of training they misunderstand what coaching is and uh yeah kind of miss miss the point of it a bit so so i think that for for that subgroup of of people um i, I think that giving these examples could be uh, a, a different perspective basically to con to consider and that's that's all that there is to it i'm not here to convince anybody <laughs> about about anything that's that's definitely not the point of this episode either so as always, you can find the show notes on scientifictriathlon.com. And uh, also, if you have any feedback, uh, both Lucky and I would be really uh, grateful for, for it. Hear what you think about this episode. And uh, as I said at the beginning of the episode, uh, remember that registration is open for our 2024 training camp in Mallorca, the 13th to the 20th of April. Uh, it's a chance to live like a full-time athlete for a week and spend time with like-minded people, both athletes and coaches, and do what we love to do together in one of the most beautiful places in the world, especially for cycling. Uh, and I think if you're interested in learning more about what it's like from a participant's point of view, go to the camp webpage, which is scientifictriathlon.com forward slash Mallorca, and read the testimonials that we have from participants of our previous camps. And I'll read out one of them here. This participant said, quote, this is my second time at the scientific triathlon mallorca camp a fantastic place for a spring training camp mallorca is one of the best places for cycling that i know perfect weather scenic challenging rides and hotel with great training facilities again the camp was great good swim bike run program guided groups by ability and all around great group of people to train and socialize with if you're interested check out the webpage for more information and follow this, the instructions there to register or email me directly on michael at scientific Finally, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hydration that you can find on precisionfuelandhydration.com. If you're looking for electrolytes and fueling products, I would highly recommend trying them out. You can use their free fuel and hydration planner or even get a free video consultation with the team to prepare your race strategy. And don't forget to take 15% off your first order with the code TTS23. And thank you to Senate. Use the Senate swim trainer to improve your technique, power and swim training consistency. Even if you have just 15 minutes at home available, you can get a time-efficient Senate workout done that will help you swim better and stronger. You can try the Senate risk free for up to 30 days and get 20% off your first order on senatesinter.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.